You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Hello, podcast listeners. Hello, podcast land. Welcome back. Another Wednesday, another episode. Whoa, that's crazy. We're pretty lucky to have the people come into the studio that we've had so far, and today's guest is certainly no exception. He's the former premier of the province. Mr. Ian Rankin, the Honorable Ian Rankin. How do you get the the term honorable put in front of your name? Well, if you're in cabinet and being premier, he's certainly deserving of that you, title. Do you have to be a politician? Like, could I get it? Like, I would like <laughs> You're like, that. will you call me the honorable Michael Ryan? Yeah. Well, maybe in certain environments. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would like that. Yeah. Okay. I'd like if everyone would say Everyone to call wants me to be called that. honorable or sir, Sir Elton John. See, musicians can have these yeah. titles. You just have to earn them. Sir Honorable Michael Ryan. That's what I want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. We'll get you a nameplate. So you worked with Ian when you were in politics. Before you left to form, uh, or to create your life as an artist, a full-time artist and podcaster, you worked in the political world in Nova Scotia. Episode one of Mike and Kristen, the podcast, was about me leaving my government job, which <clears throat> was a different kind of role at the time. But I I grew up in a political family. My grandfather was our local MLA in the Annapolis Valley Ooh, for Earl. a number of years, Earl Rafuse. And uh, my mother worked for the local MP, who at the time was Harry Varon. I was our school president. I studied oh. political science in university, and my master's degree was in political philosophy. And yeah, I went on to work uh, in politics for a number of years as a political staffer, they call it. And uh, my first role was the manager of research in the Liberal Caucus office, which is where I would have met Ian and our colleagues at the time. And I had the privilege of seeing him work through the career, this great career that he's had that's still going really he's in the midst of it he was always just a really kind and calm person which you'll hear in this episode he's he's just himself and uh i i really i feel like now especially that i have left that world i don't have the risk of talking openly about politics and that experience but what i often witnessed in that role was the, the criticism that so many politicians took. And you'll hear in this episode uh, about a blog that I wrote about that and just chatting with Ian about his experience in it. And he's a humble guy and, uh, you know, he isn't going to certainly talk about it in a negative light because there's so many privileges and benefits to working in the role he did and, and that I did. But it, I, it really shed light on, I, I think, the maybe mystery of government and mystery of politics that we could do a better job at better understanding uh, that these are just human beings. Uh, Politicians are just people who were once 
your hairstylist or teacher or lawyer in your community that wanted to do well. And I always felt like as soon as they adopted that new job title, they were open. It was like open fire on them. Yeah, they're immediately vilified. Yeah. And it, it just felt not only unfair for those people, but it, it risked deterring good people for, from running for office. And yeah. we want all kinds of people to feel comfortable running for office. Yet we collectively as the public can sometimes create a hostile environment that's like, why would I sign up for that? Yeah. And so I... Ian may be uh, one of our more obscure guests as far as being on a an arts podcast. Or... We, we, we talk to people who've taken a, a career or a life that's a little off the beaten path. and Yeah, being premier is off the beaten yeah, path. Yeah, there's not that <laughs> how many people can say they're premier, right? So Yeah, exactly. Um, but and uh, I, I thought it was interesting. It just came up in conversation. He... How he he's kind of an introverted guy, and you kind you often picture politicians as the really outspoken people, trying to I guess command a room and just be very open that. But then he's like, no, I I really like policy and trying to make change, kind of behind the scenes. Even I think it's what makes him such an interesting politician because he isn't maybe that classic version of who we envision, which to me sheds all the more light on the need for anyone to feel that they deserve to run for office and be in those seats and represent their community. Yeah, well, let's uh let's let's dive into it. Sounds great. Speaking of Inverness, you were born in the Inverness Hospital, correct? I was, yes. As was I. Yeah. Do you know what doctor delivered you? Oh, my. <laughs> Dr. Bernie? I don't. I'd have to ask my dad. Yeah. I, obviously, I don't remember that day. <laughs> I, uh, I have a clear recollection of that moment in time myself. Dr. Dr. Bernie was hands. the first face you saw. Huh? No, I don't remember. Uh, uh, yeah, we lived in Mabu when I was born there yeah. for... for about a year and a half, and then went up north, which I don't remember as well. Where up north? It was called Frobisher Bay okay. at the time, so a Callowit. Yeah. Well, and, your parents moved up there? And, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so uh, my dad basically got a job and uh, was working with uh, the Inuit and yeah. uh, doing some housing work up there. So, And then we moved back here in Halifax and Timberley area. Okay. Kind of just around the corner from here. Yeah. But you have a lot of family still in Cape Breton, yeah? Tons, yeah. So my dad was from a family of 13. Most of them are still around there. Just distant relatives that expands quite a bit with 47 first cousins, I think, on that side. And then we're all having kids now, too. I'm probably the median age in the in the group of 47. And we were just talking, you're distantly related to the, the famous Rankin family, the musicians. Yes, so they they grew up on uh, Back Street, same area, you'd know that. And uh, they would be distant relatives, cousins of cousins through uh, my grandmother, actually, who was a, a Rankin from, uh, she'd be from the Harbor area. I, I know Jimmy very well, actually. Yeah. yeah, we hang out a bit. 
Is there any music in your family? Quite a bit. Uh, you mean my immediate family? Yeah, my siblings. Yeah. So, so I'm one of three, and my younger sister Carol is a really good singer. Yeah. My older sister went through all this, the levels of piano, and yeah. uh, we, uh, her and I, went to the Gala College growing up quite oh, a nice. bit. So, I played the bagpipes. Yeah, she step dance and stuff. And do you still play the bagpipes? Not often. Uh, <laughs> you drinks and you whip them out. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, yeah. If there's a special occasion, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's a happy one and a sad one too. Yeah, like when sure. the Porter Pick shooting happened, that that motivated me when I was asked to get out and play Amazing Grace. Yeah. So I was one of like hundreds of pipers across the province that yeah. played that together. That so that was that was kind of cool. And then um, I guess because people saw that, I get random emails and stuff people asking to play at different things but i usually have to say no because i just don't have the stamina that i used to have to yeah. be able to just pick it up and play does it take a lot of physical energy to play the bagpipes it looks like it surprisingly um it's it's the the mouth muscles that will give out on you more often than it is actually the wind um but um it's also the condition of the pipe itself like making sure that there's it's not leaking and stuff so my uh, wife mary plays as well so I play hers when I, I need to play because oh, nice. mine, are, mine are just in terrible shape. So I have a good bagpipe story I want to tell. Okay. So my Who doesn't have a good bagpipe story? My friend Andrew was getting married yeah. and he had a bagpiper booked. I think, are you related to Andrew, Andrew McLeod or so, like Alistair's son? Yeah, we're, we'd be related as well. Like, yeah, I thought, uh, I thought this, you might be. Again, yeah. distantly. So. <laughs> yeah. Like the Rankins, they're probably second or third cousins, something like that. Okay, so Andrew's getting married, had a bagpiper booked. And this is also a story about how connected Cape Breton is and how, how we, we like to help each other out. But his bagpiper at the last minute, the day of the wedding, backed out. And he's like, what are we going to do? We don't have a bagpiper. I'm like, let's just call up a random number and ask if they play the bagpipes. And, a random Cape Breton number. Yeah, like in yeah. Inverness, like 258 and whatever. So I said, okay, let's do 258 Michael Jordan, Sidney Crosby, 258-2387. So we just called a random number and said, uh, hey, do you play bagpipes? And they said, uh, no, but this guy does, and this is his number. So we called him, and he was dead. And his wife said, <laughs> no, but this guy will play. So uh, this old fella answered the phone. And he said, I'll be there in an hour. And uh, we were walking to the wedding wearing our uh, our kilts and everything. And we're like, well, let's hope. I forget what his name was. Just showed up. And sure enough, he was at the steps of the church playing the bagpipes for a hundred bucks. And with two phone calls and we, we got him. But that sounds very Cape Breton. hundred yeah. bucks too. That's, that's a familiar, like, that's what I would get paid as a kid, like to play yeah. one tune at like a <laughs> sports hall of fame but, event at SMU or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get enough of those and you're, you're laughing. That's not bad. Yeah. yeah. So you grew up in the city. Do you still feel like you have that Cape Breton roots about you though? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's, um, I guess it depends where you are. Like if, if you're traveling, I, I always think it's interesting. Like people ask where you're from, like if you're like, I don't know, abroad, like, where are you from? Like, Halifax or, or Nova Scotia. But, like, if people ask in around this area, where are you from? I would say, formerly from Cape Breton. Born there. Spent a lot of summers there. And uh, that's where we like to spend a lot of our time now. So, um, 
Yeah. We've but, heard that from other Cape Bretoners as well. Yeah. That, that maybe work out west. And yeah. when people ask where they're from, they, they don't say Nova Scotia. Yeah. And out there, I, I lived in Jasper, Alberta for a couple of years. And people always said, you're from Oat East. I don't know. That was the term that I, especially Ontario people, um, they would say, yeah, East Coaster. Yeah. <laughs> and mo- most people who are listening would probably know you from your political career and being premier for for a period what what drove you towards getting into politics i would go back to that being from like cape breton community minded and yeah. and wanting to just contribute in some way and pre- being premier was definitely not on my radar at yeah. all even while i was an mla um i just wanted to represent the community that i was in that i grew up in and uh as you know timberley's kind of a fast-growing suburb when we moved there in the 80s it was half the size it is now and just didn't have the infrastructure and opportunities that I thought like it potentially could have had so it was very like basic like we need a community center which I'm still working on it's approved but like access for sports for kids and things like that fixing up the school very localized but I I think it was just my dad was a counselor for 25 years and just his dad was a counselor and in Inverness County too, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt just part of you, I suppose. That's what you would have. That was the family business, so to speak. Yeah, it was yeah. driven that way. I mean, Alan McMaster is similarly like his dad was uh, involved mm-hmm. in politics, too. and Rodney, his dad. He reminds me, his dad was a counselor too down that way. So it's just uh, you want to contribute in some way, and I think I'll always do that my whole life. You studied business, is that? Business was the main, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I graduated from the Mount, yeah. I have a story that you may or may not remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is it a bagpipe story? It's not a bagpipe <laughs> public story. Public account story? It, well, I think it was, you were caucus chair. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yes. I'm going back a few years here now. Yeah. You came into work. My office was beside, you and Lloyd Hines shared an office. Okay. And I was right beside that. Yeah. And uh, you came in one morning, you were going to be chairing caucus in a couple of hours. And I said, you know, what are you up to this morning, Ian? And you said, oh, I just have to go in and defend my thesis. And oh, you, yeah. were, you were doing a virtual thesis defense. And you were so chill about it. And I'm thinking to myself, I remember the day I defended my master's thesis at Acadia and my heart rate was accelerated for a solid 24 hours before and after that moment. You wouldn't let me go either. No, I, it was the most nervous I've ever been in my life. Like I had sweat stains down to my waistline for sure. And here you just, you casually walk in like, yeah, I just have to go defend my thesis. And then, yeah, I'll be out in a couple of hours. And that stuck with me. I've never forgot that because it you were just so confident and calm about this thing that for me was the height of my anxiety in my entire life. So I don't, I don't is, remember that, but it, wow. uh, yeah, I don't remember the day I defended my yeah, thesis. I, 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 I think that speaks to all of the things that you've had happen in your life yeah. since. No, that was uh that was a virtual through a school in, in Brussels and it was like, uh, yeah, it was on Canadian soft power and our diplomatic potential in the, in the world. It was just kind of a self, like interesting thing that I wanted to mm-hmm. to do. I wasn't in cabinet yet, so I didn't have like I feel like cabinet is like a second full time job, but like that I had the time to be able to do it. But yeah. do you think that that 
ability to stay calm in the situations where Kristen was quite stressed when she was in a similar situation is necessary to be in politics because I know I could never even come close to being a politician because I'd be just mm-hmm. so so upset with myself because I know instantly 50% of the population aren't going to be into <laughs> what I do. I don't want to say hate, but uh, it may be the appropriate word here. Well, yeah, you're never going to please everybody and you, and you shouldn't try. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think anybody could can do it. I just think that was just the one of the ways that I approached some stressful issues and seemed to work for me. But yeah. I think I think everybody can do it in different ways. Like I'm a very introverted person, yeah. so I don't think I am a a typical politician that, that you know goes in and likes to enjoys work in a room and things like that. Like uh, other people, I think that's their strength. For me, it's I like to like really think about policy. Yeah. And uh so I I don't think I'm typical in that way but I I do try to remain calm. <laughs> do you feel like you you knew those attributes about yourself before getting into this world or was it something you learned about yourself as you went along? I think you certainly learn more about yourself and what you believe in when you're when you're pushed into difficult decisions to make, but I I definitely knew I was always more um a quieter person that, and I enjoy more one-on-one, even like this, I, I enjoy more than a big crowd of room and, and talking to like a whole bunch of people at the same time. Right. <laughs> because it feels like with that in mind, maybe, uh, an unusual path to pursue yeah. knowing that about yourself. Yeah. But I do think, uh, like we need good people in politics. We need, I mean, we need a hell of a lot more diversity in women. Um, but I think we just need a full range of different people that want and not just um, the person that's the loudest in the room, always uh, gravitating towards those positions of, of power. Because you're going to get what out, what out of it, what you put into it, right? So. This feels like a natural segue for something I wanted to ask okay. you about. <laughs> I, I wrote a blog a few years ago. It's called That's Politics. And it was inspired by something that someone had posted on social media Essentially, yes. that talked about um, I, I, criticizing a, a politician, which you and I, uh, for those who are listening that may not know, Ian and I worked together for a number of years. I, I was a political staffer, and so we have some of these stories in common. But it was a social media post that was essentially being critical and, and you know, kind of throwing up their arms and saying, like, that's politics. Like, this is just how we perceive this world. We, as a society, collectively agree that... This is what we expect from politics and politicians. And it really hit me, especially in that moment, because there was a a conversation happening in the province and in the world, really, about um, equality and inclusion and how we want diverse representation like you're speaking of. Yet I felt like as soon as someone takes on the role of a politician, they're subjecting themselves to this type of socially acceptable criticism. And I, I saw it as such an issue and, and you know, social media, we can talk about that for days as well, but it, it was this open ground for that type of conversation to be acceptable. Like we, we, we tolerated the abuse that, and I also saw because I was working for politicians that, they were not really able to defend themselves 
because that would then trigger yet another type of critique or debate. So I'd like to talk about kind of the the, the gap between we want diversity, we want more women, we want more people of color, we want people with disabilities to represent their communities and our communities. Yet, we're all well aware that once you take on the role of being a politician, you're risking, like Mike was saying earlier, like, I don't know if I could handle having half the people treat me this way. Mm-hmm. Why is this an acceptable way to treat people just because of their job title? Yeah, that's a good question. I, it's sadly a reflection of humanity, I, I think, and it, it's an easy target. Uh, I think social media has really um, exacerbated the, the problem that you're identifying. I, I remember that blog, actually, and uh, unfortunately, I think the more that that happens, the more people are going to be dissuaded from, I mean, you look at Jacinda Ardern is probably the most impactful world leader that we have, like in my view, and and she's already stepping away. And you yeah. could probably see the reasons why. Like I posted a just a respectful note on Twitter, and then just look at the, some of the replies, and you can get a taste of what she. Same thing when I went to Ottawa, and and unfortunately, it is more targeted at women. I met with Catherine McKenna, who ended up resigning eventually, but we just had a casual meeting and I posted about that and just the vitriol of replies and like about her, even like her appearance and things like that. It's just like, you wonder why like people do get into it and it's, it is hard on the, on mental health. Um, you know, you make a tough decision on keeping uh, schools closed because COVID spreading in communities and, and parents are just like attacking you online because, you know, they're feeling stressed because of not being able to provide daycare. And so they'll, they'll, you know, it's, it's, a, it can be a thankless job, but I think you just need to, if I were to talk to someone about getting into it, you just have to try to balance that with all the good that you can do. You can sit back and just say, it's not uh, for me. And, and, and that's fine too. But, we need people in there to, to make changes, to, to make society better and to help people. And I think um, that reflection back on humanity will change over time the more and more decision makers that we have and better laws so that we don't have random Twitter bots able to do that. Like it does come back to like us together making changes so that that can eventually change. I don't see it changing anytime soon. How do you not take it to heart? And I know a lot of, a lot of people, even in the creative world, we're putting ourselves out there yep. on social sure. media and you know, put songs out, Chris, and puts paintings out. And for the most yep. part, it's pretty positive. But as as I grow as an artist, like and reach more people. I'm as gonna, you get bigger. Yep. I'm going to reach, I reach people who don't like what I do, yep. no matter what it is. Like, mm-hmm. hey, just raise $10,000 for feed Nova Scotia and like you get a negative comment. Like, how can I get negative comments on that? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense, but it's just, I think it's, uh, and especially with social media mm-hmm. now, people have that voice that didn't have a voice in the past. And a lot of people have seemingly endless time to take out of their day to write these negative comments. Uh, and I, I myself, again, the reason I was saying, like, I, I don't think I could handle being a politician is because it is really hard to, to see someone say, like, that's the worst song I ever heard or something. And I know there's a bunch more comments saying the positive stuff. 
but it's a lot of people really focus on that one negative thing amongst thousands of great things and ha- and I know that's even more so for politicians. Yeah, and it was the bigger you get the more people and yeah. and you know being a minister and then ultimately when I was premier and especially yeah. during covid uh I just couldn't look at it. So I stopped. Yeah. I signed out of my Facebook account for that whole period of time. Yeah. I just because you get random messages in that like other part that's just people that don't know you that just yeah. want to go after you so <laughs> it's uh but yeah anyone in public life i think generally has to deal with some level of of that unfortunately does it require a thick skin well i think we're all human so i i think you try to turn the other cheek but you might not know that it impacts you like you could mm-hmm. say it doesn't but like i don't know it it definitely had an impact on on my mental health for for the period of time especially when i was premier yeah yeah no question what are the pieces of of work be it a piece of legislation or policy that you feel proud of that you were you know happy to take those punches maybe along the way because you saw the the good results for your community when all was said and done yeah well i think Structurally, in the long term for the province, the creation of the Office of Equity and Anti-Racism and uh, and through that, the creation of the Justice Institute, which isn't really well known, I don't think, outside of the black community, but they uh, that was led by the community, African Nova Scotian Justice Institute, and uh, they're working away to hopefully prevent the things that are happening that we're seeing in the news, even just this week with the, the young black a uh, guy that was killed by the the police in the, in the US but but uh just the structural racism that we have um that I think is probably the the single most change that I don't think will be reversed the new government has kept that office but in terms of the media change that I needed to to do when I was premier was the increase to income assistance by $100 a month uh that was by far the largest increase and I just looked at like what can we do to help the people that need help the most it doesn't get more marginalized and vulnerable than people that are requiring that assistance in the tough times that we were in. So uh, I regret not indexing it because the new government came in and they didn't increase it in the last budget. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things I wish I, I would have done uh, because inflation has almost taken away that increase already over that the last couple of years. But um, there's others, but those are the things I, I think that I think about were definitely needed and Glad I was there to do it. And environment's always been an important yeah. thing to you, right? Yeah, and environment's uh, one of those things where you you can't win. Um, you know, you have to find a way. Like getting off of coal was an objective of mine. So we did release the the largest renewable energy tender. And credit to the new government, they continued and they had, they released that tender. So there'll be like 500 megawatts of of wind, which is. Uh, uh, will help us get off coal, but um, I'm not seeing the progress that I would have liked to see. Like we're now 2023, so I don't think they'll reach the deadline in seven years, but uh, those are difficult uh, things to do. Uh, the whole jobs versus environment is a, is a tricky one, but it's it's still a passion of mine for sure. And Nova Scotia like, is one of the poorest provinces in Canada, I believe. You could say that, yeah. And people on the outside in the public often think that there's this endless pool of money in the government. And 
they don't really understand that only so much can go around and that there's you can't just give an endless sum to education or healthcare like if you're giving some to to one component that the other one might not be able to get as much how do how do people become more educated just on the workings of politics in general or the even yeah just the, the breakdown of what is what is provincial what is federal what is is the municipal level like it seems like i don't know there's, there's still good, some mystery there yeah isn't there? some some people aren't really aware of how that happens and if, i think it would help a lot of people in just generally understanding that yeah i think some of the onus is on us as politicians um to be accessible and reach out but parents um, telling their kids, like, I mean, we could probably have more education in, in the school system on civics, but I think it does come down to parents and there's just a bit of apathy out there. And if people don't feel like it matters what their vote is, obviously like the vote turnouts problematic since that's been going down. Um, but if people want change and they want to be involved, like I always say, like, you don't have to be in politics, just, just be involved in some way vote number one but mm -hmm. but uh get involved in a local organization like volunteerism overall i think is on a pretty precipitous de decline and i think that's speaks to the like yeah who's the prime minister is it federal provincial are you liberal it's just all the same like it's i think it's 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 bigger than politics the decline in public life and yeah. community life yeah I, I really, I think that's an important point to make that you've um, made the distinction between party politics and simply be contributing to your community. Mm -hmm. You don't have to belong to a party to feel yeah. like you're making a difference. And I think that's an important message to get out there as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You've always been someone willing to be not only transparent, but to admit to maybe a weakness and oversight a mistake along the way, which I think makes you different uh, from what most might think of when they think of politicians mm -hmm. is that something that was Im consciously important to you yeah i think um that's the human part of it like nobody is perfect um and yeah i i did <laughs> i did some bad things growing up the, the worst would have been uh drinking under the influence i i learned that tough lesson when i was in my early 20s and uh thankfully that behavior stopped for the rest of my life. So uh, I think that's a positive thing. Um, but definitely there's, I think everyone has gone through some challenges down the road and we're all human and it's good to not lie to yourself about it. There is sometimes a, a fear because politics and politicians and the consequences of that are so public facing. It can be a scary thing to to be honest about the mistakes that we've made, but you know, we're, we're just two, two, Mike and I, just two people, two voters, constituents, but really admire your um, courage to, to speak truthfully about those things. And yes, makes you more human, makes you more relatable and makes it feel okay for us to make mistakes in our lives as well. Yeah. When did you meet Mary? So that was at a political event, actually, yeah. um, the Liberal AGM in 2014. Um, her family is kind of involved in the, in the Liberal Party for a while, um, from Anaganish. And it was kind of funny because I don't know why I said 
I could play the bagpipes. And maybe that was like something I, I, I thought it was like a rare thing. And she said that she could too. Yeah. <laughs> and she's much better than me, actually. She actually won awards and wow. stuff when in competition. Um, Did she play a hundred dollar uh, wedding? I think she stuff, probably though? made more money than me, but she, uh, she was, she yeah, won it's like. more expensive to hire Mary. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, she was uh, champion supreme. They call it when you win like for your level or whatever. Yeah. So she won that. Uh, so that was kind of funny that we had that in common and uh, started dating and we just got married in 2019 in down in Arizona. Oh yeah. Did you guys yeah. elope or? No, it was a small wedding, but yeah. it was, uh, my sister lives down there. So okay. we wanted a, a spot that was uh, warm and kind of unique. And uh, so we did that in February, 2019. Yeah. And you now have a beautiful young daughter, Freya. Yeah. Freya's, uh, yeah, she's definitely uh, the best thing that I've done so far, and it's uh, a big part of why I stepped away from the the job of leadership, mm -hmm. because I was able to spend time with her at home, and she actually just started daycare around the corner from here um, just this month, so before that I was at home with her quite a bit. Is she named after anyone? She's not, actually. Um we just really, really like the name, and it's um, the goddess of beauty. It's a, a Norse, old Norse name. Um, it's a good thing to be named after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucky girl. Yeah, and she is beautiful. So it's uh, actually it's also the origins of the day Friday came from Freya or whatever. So it was, uh, yeah. I thought it was cool. Hey, Kristen, do you know what's awesome? What, Mike? Real food bars. Mmm, they're so delicious. They are delicious. I take them on my runs with me because they're such clean fuel. Like you're out on the track and you open up a bar while you're running? Yeah, just tear it open right there on the spot. That's versatile. They source all local ingredients. All local? So they call themselves Made with Local because they support so many local farmers and food makers. Where are those farmers based out of that they support? Nova Scotia. Holy smokes, this is <laughs> getting even better and better. Where can you buy their products? So they still manufacture in Nova Scotia, but you can find their product all across Canada now. This is unreal. And they started out as just a small table at a farmer's market and have now achieved B Corp certification. That sounds pretty fancy. Yeah, they have tons of delicious flavors. I'm partial to anything with peanut butter and chocolate, as you know, but yes. they also have lemon and blueberry, uh, gingerbread for the holidays. Oh man, they are pretty darn delicious and healthy. Like when I eat like seven in a row, if I ate seven Mars bars, you know, I'd feel like I was gonna die, but I eat seven of those and I feel like I can take over the world. Yeah, you could lift a car after yeah. that. Yeah, you get this like power in your bones. Made with local. And where can we find these bars and all the great products they create? So I usually pick up my real food bars just at our local grocery store, but they're also found in lots of health food stores, gas stations, and little markets across the country. They are doing awesome, and they taste awesome, nutritious, and delicious real food bars. Real food bars. Made with local. Made with local. When Kristen was in politics, I saw the amount of work that went into just being involved. And her boss, who was a minister, and you were a minister at the same time, yep. would have been putting in just the most ridiculous hours imaginable. And 
and then you see the people complaining online that politicians don't do enough. And I, I'm seeing the behind the scenes stuff of how much actually goes into it. And it was, I couldn't believe it. Like I, 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 if I didn't have that kind of, uh, behind the curtain view, I would have felt the same. Like I, I've just as an average person, like you, you don't know what politicians actually do. And, it was it was eye opening to see the amount of work that that goes into it and the amount of stress you take on and just the amount of things you try to make happen that are very challenging to bring to life do you feel like it's a thankless job <laughs> no i but you're right. It's you're never not working. I, I suppose unless you don't have your phone on you. It, yeah. it like probably people are better than me at at shutting off. But I yeah. I have a hard time with it. So unless I'm sleeping, um, well until Freya came along, that that definitely allowed me to to step back a bit yeah. and, and take that break that I needed. But uh, I wouldn't say it's thankless. There's times that it might feel that way. But when you can make, you know an announcement that's important or, or even something that may seem small. If you help one person that comes into your office and their power is getting shut off tomorrow, uh, and the power company won't work with them and you make that call and you figure out a way to get them on a payment plan and keep their power on in the middle of winter to yeah. keep them warm. Or you mentioned the food bank that you're contributing to. Like yeah. if there's a way to create a food bank, which I did during the pandemic because there wasn't one in, in Timberley and finding the yeah. volunteers that that would work it during a pandemic and get food out to people. That's that's rewarding for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was so grateful, like Mike's describing, to have that understanding of yeah. the behind the scenes. It felt like the best education I could have ever had. Yeah. And, and the privilege to work with so many hardworking people, learn from them, but really earn, learn, sorry, the, the infrastructure, the intricacies of how decisions are made, the amount of sometimes agony that went into making decisions because you, you want for it to be right. You want for it to be helpful, for it to resonate with the people. And I, I don't know that that is something that we can really teach in t like any job, you know, same as you, Mike, you can't, really describe or explain what it's like to be on stage in front of a crowd of people until you're in those shoes. Maybe we could say that for any job, but is there anything, Ian, that you, I don't know, that you think might be a helpful piece of uh, understanding for people to think about uh, when they're looking at, be it how to vote or why a decision was made? Um, and, and maybe it's too general of a question to to really pinpoint, but Again, it's something I just feel I've been so lucky that I, I, you know, when an announcement's made that maybe is controversial, I know that there was a lot of hours of work, talented people that went into making those decisions. Yeah, I think, well, we have some of the smartest people, as you know, in the, in the province working in government in these departments and politicians are getting advice from these subject matter experts on policy and someone makes a decision and it is, I'd say maybe not all, but most of the time, like they think it's least in the best interest of the general welfare for people. Um, 
but it's easy to get cynical for people. So I, for advice, it's, it's communication. Um, and for, for the average person, the voter that's thinking about like, who do I vote for? It's trying to connect with people like who's running, like just call your MLA and talk about issues. Like that's what we're supposed to be there for, to be accessible for, for people. So the onus is on us and people to, to, to get educated on, on issues that, that they care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been in politics for 10 years now. Yeah, it's, it will be 10 years come October this year. Yeah. yeah. Do you see or hope that this continues to be part of your life and future? Yeah, I think it's uh, always going to be some part of my future, uh, whether that's elected office or, or something different. I like to, to keep options open uh, as long as I'm able to to help people, which I think politics is at its core, then then I'll continue to, to do that. But uh, making it to the premier seat um, kind of early in my career, in my 30s, uh, is kind of unique. And what what I do next, I'll, I'll just, uh, I have time now to figure out what I want to do next. And uh, if I do leave the seat of being the MLA for Timberley Prospect, that'll be a very difficult thing because it's, it's really what drove me is to be like that voice for people that are in my community. So that, that will be a challenge. Does Timberley Prospect feel like your forever home? Um, could be. I mean, I, I love Mabu as we were talking about. Um, I love spending time there and uh, being around family and stuff. But uh, I've lived all over the country. Uh, I lived in Ontario and Alberta, PEI. And uh, I actually think young people should travel whenever I talk to them um i think the idea of trying to hold people back and keep them here and like young people need to stay here we need more young people i think is a fallacy because go away and see and learn and and experience things and if you want to come back great if you want to come back in 20 years that that's great but uh people should be free to be able to just go out and see things and and change your perspective on things so um, I've always know. seen traveling as a way to just learn about different cultures and mm-hmm. what they do. And it's also a way to see that the way that I grew up isn't necessarily the only way. Exactly. Like, yeah. I remember just going to Thailand and just, you, you see how people live there and like, oh, this is different than Cape Breton. <laughs> doesn't mean, Quite. <laughs> yeah, doesn't mean that uh, they are right and we are wrong or vice versa. It's just that there's different ways people live and you can just see all these different cultures and just uh, how people interact with each other and take the parts that really resonate with you. And when you come home, you're able to kind of share those things with others. Yeah. And how privileged we are, like to be in Canada, oh, yeah. is, it's unbelievable. Like the natural resources we have here, and yeah, it's unbelievably. Well, we uh, were going to Colombia last year uh, after yeah. Kristen left uh, politics, and there was a uh, petition going around in our subdivision to, for speed bumps to get them put in. And uh, there's some arguing back and forth online, and there uh... here or Columbia? No, no, here. Okay, because I, I hit the one on the way in here too. Actually, I think I got some air got on some that air, one. Yeah. yeah. So we we this petition's going around, and 
whatever. We didn't really. I'm like, if they put in speed bumps, great. If they don't, great. I don't care. Yeah. Um, and then we went to Columbia and met some amazing people and heard some stories just about kind of the political situation in Colombia and people in Canada often complain that uh, we don't have freedom about things and yeah. it was pretty eye-opening when you hear about people coming into a village and because they don't share the same political beliefs murder everyone with a machine gun mm. um, and yeah just like little things like a landslide would happen and cover the road and that might be there for five years like it's not getting cleaned up immediately you just have to figure out a way you might have to make your own road yeah the department of transportation is not coming in to clear the mud and trees away and we we saw just yeah this is great amazing people some of the best people in the world there and but the way the government works there is very different than how it works here and then we came home and the speed bumps had been put in and there was a petition going around to get them removed. Oh, wow. And we're like, these aren't really issues, people. Like, yeah. we're pretty darn lucky here. And you have a voice and it's all right to have your opinion, of course. But again, traveling for us showed us like how fortunate and lucky we are to live in a place like this where we do have freedom. Yeah, I think the word freedom is kind of abused sometimes where there is a, a group of people that talk about freedom in a different way in terms of like the vaccines and things like that. Like they yeah. should be free to, you know, not be vaccinated yet. What about everyone else's freedom that is in a closed space with them, like and more likely to get sick and potentially die if they're older, right? So yeah, I just find it ironic. How was your experience during COVID? That was um, stressful for sure. Um, I felt really confident in what we were doing because we had such a, a great team. Uh, Dr. Scrang, of course, but but all of those people in public health and um, just being able to look at the facts and make decisions and not worry about the politics of it. And I think Nova Scotia, um, similar to New, New Zealand, when I mentioned Jacinda, like we, we took evidence-based decisions and we always, I always thought about the vulnerable people. Um, and I know it wasn't easy to cancel like the hockey tournament. I was criticized for the national, it was the women's national tournament that was coming here. Um, but we were telling kids they couldn't play minor hockey. So I, I just... There was decisions that were that needed to be made, um, and at the end of the day, we save lives because of it. So I just politics be damned. <laughs> you got to make the right decision for people. Yeah. Well, the whole world faced something we've never faced before. Yeah. So there's no rule book there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What's what do you like to do? That's not political. I know you. You work a lot of hours. <laughs> now that yeah. you have five minutes a probably, day to yourself, <laughs> probably have three phones in your pockets. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I know you do the. You play the bagpipes. Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing now is just playing with Freya. As simple as that sounds, and yeah. just just watching her now walk around the the room and uh, teaching her stuff. But I think generally, I like sports. I like uh, playing golf and yeah. the odd 
uh, I played a lot of basketball right before the pandemic and I was in a league and oh yeah pretty competitive league that I probably shouldn't have been in but it's uh, <laughs> it <was laughs> did fun. you play basketball growing up I did yeah, yeah yeah in high school and actually my closest best friends are the guys that were on my basketball team that we still like stay in yeah. touch with so would you have gone to Sir John A school yeah here? yeah yeah and that's uh we had a really good basketball program yeah. at, the, at the time we were just starting to get good and starting to beat the city teams like Q, oh, yeah. QEH and Halifax West and those teams yeah nice I was uh, I was a basketball player Kristen was too yeah I claimed to be and then on one of our first dates we went to play basketball and I didn't sink a single shot so oh. I was well embarrassed rusty. about that we were playing with a soccer ball too so. <laughs> you managed to get quite a few in though. yeah but <laughs> I I kept up my my chops yeah. You're a tall guy. You probably played forward or center. Yeah, I, I put. I had to be center because I was the tallest guy. Yeah. on my team. But ideally, I would have liked to be a shooting guard because there's no. If you're a six four center, you're not really gonna. Your career isn't gonna go past <laughs> high school. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was similar. I'm six foot two, and yeah. I played down low. And as it got older and older, it got tougher to rebound over some big guys yeah because then if you try to go to another level as a center like there there's guys who are seven yeah. feet tall and then you're in trouble so yeah <laughs> yeah what are some of the projects ian that you're working on now that are meaningful to you yeah so that community center in beachville lakeside timberly is uh something that's been approved but um delayed quite a bit all three levels of government so that and uh, the other really big one is the outpatient center that um that the new government couldn't really touch because it was a P3 project. That was one of the benefits of being P3. So it was already under construction and it will be opening in the next couple of years. So that'll, that'll really serve the needs of beyond Timberley prospect, like this area, even down towards the South shore, like instead of going downtown, they'll be able to get there. Where's that at? In Bears Lake. So okay. it's technically in my riding because the way like Beachville kind of connects into Bears Lake. And so that's that, that new part of Bears Lake, if you go on the other yeah. side, is where that, you can see it, it's like more than halfway built now. And it's going to be kind of like Cobbequit, where you can go in yeah. for basic services. Um, so those are just two things and continuing to work on like provincial roads out in Prospect and, you know, the meat and potatoes of politics, the roads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never heard anyone complain about roads before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there lots of... Uh, like, do you enjoy now? I know you described yourself as a bit of an introvert. Mm -hmm. Have you grown more used to presenting yourself in public? Does that feel more natural to you? Yeah, I think what's different is, like, when you do something over and over again, you just, I think, more used to it. So I have no problem going to do speeches and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's a difference between, you know, where you get your energy from and, like, if you're nervous or shy, like I was never, I never felt shy or I never felt like nervous about going and doing like a speech or those COVID briefings in front of like the yeah. province. So it's just a being comfortable, but I guess it's like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours kind of thing. Right? <laughs> like the, the Beatles playing the same show all the right. time. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of artists and creative people on our podcast and a lot of our listeners are likely in that world too. Yeah. Is politics an art? 
Uh, certainly can be. I think um, everyone has their kind of own style of like speaking and how they like relate to people. So I, I think you can see art in that for sure. Yeah. It's individualized. There's, there's art in everything. Life is art. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you could write a book like that. Yeah. yeah. Sure, there's probably a book out there called Life is Art. We'll Google it after. Are you going to write a book one day? Uh, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but uh, I'm still in politics now, and I think uh, I would wait until that part of my life is, is over before I would uh, start to look at that. But uh, certainly I could write many books about the inner workings of politics and uh, what happens. Uh, a lot of times it's within your own party. There's more politics than there is anywhere else. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. If you were going to choose any other profession and do it all over again, is there another area of interest in your life that you would have followed that path? Um, well, I, I love animals and I think a rewarding profession, if I could do it, would be to be a vet. I think that would yeah. be uh, something that would be uh, pretty cool to be able to take care of animals. Yeah. And you have a rescue dog? I do. Actually, Rocco is... Uh, 15 years old now. I just turned 15 in January. Getting up there. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a rescue cat too. Oh, do you? And and feel, well, Mike and I have fostered animals through the SPCA. Yeah. Uh, We started doing that during the lockdown. Actually, it was great company, but we were on the fence about whether or not we were ready to have a pet. Yeah. So it was almost like interviewing pets. Okay. Because you'd only have them for a few weeks and then get to know their personality. And we now have George, the cat that uh, has been here for a couple of years, but... Yeah, it feels really meaningful to have that uh, connection with our fur friends. Yeah. Yeah, we had another dog too, but he, he did uh, die. He he was a Springer Spaniel, so and he made it to, to six years old. But uh, yeah. yeah, we lost him last year. Right. Yeah, love dogs. Animals are, they're just, every time we see our cat, we smile. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just... He's always doing something funny, like 100% of the time, Yeah, what he's doing is funny. Yeah, yeah. I guess they're more social than people think. There was, uh, like, a new study came out about how, like, because people think they're just solitary animals, but they actually do really crave your attention and companionship. Yeah, we were saying, uh, like, George is, like, probably funnier than Dave Chappelle to us, <laughs> anyway. Keeps us entertained. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe no one else would find that from him, but to us, yeah, he's, he's the best comedian alive. Yeah. So what do you have on the go the rest of the day, Ian? What's your typical day look like? Are you in the office taking meetings most of the time, or is it just, who yeah, knows? It's, I do like the flexibility of the job, so because we're not in session, um, after this, I will go into the office and just go through like the, the voicemails and, and the emails and stuff like that. And, um, eventually just head back out this way and pick up Freya. So we picked a really cool daycare up the street here, um, called Forest Kids. Oh, so, yeah. uh, I really like their model. And yeah. so I, it's worth the drive from Timberly to, to come out for the right spot for her. So depending when I'm done, I'll pick her up and head back home. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for fitting us yeah, into your busy schedule. It so yeah, it's been great. It's great to see you guys. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, amazing work you've been doing as a politician and as just a human in general. And thank you. I think a lot of people can really just take the the mindset of you don't have to be in politics, but just trying to do 
positive things for your community yeah. is really meaningful. And it doesn't have to be big things. Exactly, like yeah. Pick up some garbage every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. The, the smallest things make a difference. And I think if everyone can kind of take that mindset on, like, huge changes will happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody can contribute in some way, for sure. Yeah. We're one big team. Yeah. Well, Nova Scotia has shown that we can come together in times of yeah, hardship. And absolutely. Uh, sometimes we forget that, but we we are united. We're, we're a strong, mighty province, and we've had exceptional leadership. Uh, like we've talked about being in other parts of the world. Um, we've, we're really privileged here. We're lucky mm-hmm. and good to have those reminders every so often. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Thanks, Ian. We really appreciate you being yeah, buddy, here today. Appreciate it a lot. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It was great. Find out uh, which doctor delivered. I will, and I'll get back to you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cheers. All right. There you go. Another great chat. Another chat in the books. It's amazing how many people are just in our community that are able to come sit with us. Yeah. Including a former premier. Yeah, it's pretty neat for sure. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of community events, what do you have on the go coming up? Uh, this weekend I'm playing a couple shows. The Big Shiny Tunes is happening in Halifax at the Marquee. So I'm doing a couple songs at uh, both those events, Friday and Saturday. And this is a throwback tribute concert to the Big Shiny Tunes albums. Correct. Yeah, yes. every one, a bunch of guest singers will be performing. Best songs ever from the 90s. Pretty good. 90s and early 2000s, too. Mm-hmm. And I just got back from Sydney recording a new album. So fun. As soon as we're done this outroduction, I'm going to be uh, switching around a few mics and... Uh, Doing a few vocal tracks and gonna start start mixing the album as soon as I can. You've been working really hard this past week. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. You were at home creating a lot too. I did my own little artist retreat here at home. I'm working with some new materials and I'm going to be developing some workshops. I'm gonna try to do a virtual show sometime over the next couple of months, so keep your eyes open for that. But we're just taking it as it comes, eh? Yeah. One day at a time. We had an awesome uh, sleepover with Christina Martin and Dale Murray. Yeah, that was really fun. Christina's a, a former guest, and her and her partner, Dale, are great musicians. And uh, we, we connected with Christina really well, and kind of uh, she invited us to, to their place. And yeah, we just got along great, and we used a Ouija board, tried to summon some spirits. And, we got one spirit, I guess. We got a spirit. Yeah. yeah. No, we did well. We had a blast. They've got a beautiful little home and so kind and welcoming to us. So we've, we're feeling good, folks. We're feeling lucky and uh, happy to be here bringing episodes every week. Thanks for always tuning in and let us know how you're enjoying our, our guests and our episodes. We're always happy to hear from you. And we got a big giveaway coming up soon. So uh, we'll keep announce your that. Yeah, we'll announce eyes and ears peeled. Eyes and ears. Okay, buds. We'll talk soon.